Amen. Thank you, Pastor Brenda, for the reading of the word. Before we consider today's reading, or today's message and today's scripture reading, I want to say a word of gratitude and appreciation to Morning Song Choir for leading us in worship. Peggy, it's great to have you back on the organ. I want to thank, uh, say a word of thanks to the tech team, including some new volunteers who have stepped up today. Thank you all so much. I want to thank everyone who's part of our hospitality and greeting team, the folks who are doing discipleship ministries with children and with youth and with adults. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I so value your participation in ministry here. My name is Lance Marshall, one of the pastors here at the church, and uh, this has been a big year for me, and it's particularly been a big year because in April of this year, I had a birthday, and it was a pretty big milestone birthday because now officially, officially based on statistics and spreadsheets and things like that, I am now officially, unequivocally, unavoidably middle-aged. I am officially the middle age, and signs have been pointing that way for a long time, but this April, boom, I had a birthday. I am officially middle-aged. Jean shorts and a book on how to do barbecue and a bunch of World War II DVDs just showed up in the mail. It was wonderful. I am officially middle-aged, and part of my journey of being middle-aged is, of course, thinking about health and fitness and things like that a little bit differently. You know, I've, I used to to really enjoy eating right and working out in my early 20s. It was all because I was running races and playing on sports teams and things like that. So eating right and taking care of myself was about performance. And I only did that for a few more years. And then later on, my late 20s, my early 30s, I was still eating right and exercising. But it was more about this dream that maybe if I do all these things, abs might come back. But those days are past, and, and now eating right and exercising is more like why, why I put that high mileage oil in the minivan. It's like, look, I'm just trying to keep this thing going, right? And, you know, sometimes I drop the ball on eating right. Sometimes I drop the ball on exercise. But there's one thing I'm really good about. I am really honestly very good about getting enough sleep. You know, they talk about how important sleep is, right? Like if you're not, you can eat right and exercise, but if you're not getting enough sleep, it can really negatively impact your health. Well, I get enough sleep. In fact, I don't understand those of you who don't. Like, why not? Sleep's amazing. You're missing out on it. Like, sleep's the best. And so I'm really good about getting enough sleep. I go to bed early and on time. And then even more than that, you know, I kind of, I, did, I have good digital hygiene. I stop looking at screens and my phone and things like that a good time before I go to bed. When I go to bed, I have a calm down ritual and I read a little bit and I calm and my bedroom's dark and comfortable. And 99% of the time I fall asleep really easily. I have a really good night's sleep, and, and that, that's a really big part of me feeling healthy. 99% of the time, I fall asleep really easily. But sometimes I go through that, that ritual, and it's calm, and it's quiet, and I lay down, and I'm ready to go to bed, and my brain goes, oh, I'm so glad you're here. There's been some things I want to talk to you about. And I go, no brain, now's not really the time. I don't want to talk right now. And my brain goes, round one, let's talk about all the times you were awkward in public. And I go, brain, I'm, I'm trying to fall asleep. I don't want to talk about this right now. And my brain goes, remember seventh grade? And it's like, no brain, I don't want to do that right now. And then brain goes, round two, let's talk about all the times you were mean to somebody. Oh, brain. No, I'm just trying to go to bed. I don't want, to, I don't want you to be thinking about all the times I was mean. And sometimes... And this is the hardest one. And this is the time, this is the sign that there's not going to be a good night's sleep tonight. My brain goes, okay, round three, the grand prize round. All of the times you disappointed yourself or somebody else. 
Anybody else ever have that happen? You're just laying down and trying to go to sleep, and all of a sudden your brain wants to talk about the awkward things that you've done, or the times you were mean, or the worst one, the worst one, the times that you've let yourself down and let somebody else down. Those can be torturous, and they can last a really long time. And sometimes through some good practices and healthy habits, maybe through things like journaling or, or counseling or just visiting with good friends, we can go in these, in these postures and we can go back and reflect on those experiences, those parts of who we are, and we can learn from them. We can, we can learn the lessons from them and we can kind of let them go. We can move past them. But some of those things are a little bit tougher. And in my life and in my life of ministry, one of the things that I've found is the toughest to let go of the toughest to move past are the things, the times where we feel like we've let ourselves down or when we've disappointed God. One of the most difficult parts of my faith journey and the faith journey I've seen in other people's lives is when we feel like there's a sense of disappointment or having not lived up to expectations and when it comes to our relationship with God. That's what I want to talk about today for anyone who may feel that. So, this has been another big year for me. It's been a professional year of transition. I'm in my 10th year of ministry here at First Church. I've been here for nine years, and I've been a preacher almost every single Sunday for the last nine years in one of our worship services. I've taught a Bible study or a discipleship class or something like that almost every single week for almost 10 years now. And yet, my predecessor, Dr. Tim Brewster, retired uh, earlier this month and has gone on to his next phase. And I now serve this church as its senior pastor. And it's an honor and a privilege to do so. And even though I've been here for a long time, it still feels like a season of new beginnings. It still feels like an important time to spend time with you, the congregation, and, and share some about not only my faith journey and how I've been formed as a man and as a Christian and as a pastor, but to use that as an opportunity for you to reflect on your faith journey. What are the pieces that have fallen into place? What are the pieces that you've yet to find a good fit for when it comes to you and your relationship with Christ? So that's why we have the Lego theme here and the Lego lights and things like that. We're trying to use that pieces metaphor, this, this idea of building and bricks by bricks and time by time when it comes to our own journey of faith and growth. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about the first piece that fell into place for me. And for those of you who've heard some of my story, you know, I was taken to church a little bit as a kid, but I wasn't really a card-carrying Christian through my youth or my young adulthood or college. And I was a convert to Christianity as a young adult. And one of the first key pieces that fell into place for me was really shocking in a time where I was, I was moral and I was good and I was kind, but I was just looking for richer answers about the meaning of life and my purpose in it. I was surprised to find out that I found a powerful and true word about who I am and what I'm experiencing and what I need in Scripture. I didn't expect to see that because I wasn't a lifelong Christian. I didn't look at the Scripture as authoritative in my life. And yet, against all odds, an educated young man, a modern young man, a skeptical young man found in Scripture something that was just honestly powerful and wise and true. That was the first foundational piece that fell into my life. I realized pretty quickly that not only the Scriptures, but the religion that surrounds it, the church that surrounds it, the community that surrounds it, that had something powerful and real to me too. And I wasn't expecting to see any of this. It was quite a surprise. The next piece that fell into place was also very surprising because 
You know, you don't have to go to church in Tarrant County to still get a little bit of church sent at you, right? I mean, even just bumper stickers are going to send a little bit of Jesus your way, right? And one of the things I had gathered, even though I wasn't really particularly involved in any church, was in my mind, it seemed like Christianity just boiled down to two things. Be nice, and then say you believe in Jesus so that you can go to the good place when you die. That's all I had really gathered. Well, I was already nice, and I was willing to say anything just about to make sure I could go to the good place after I died. So pretty much had my bases covered there and didn't see any reason to put on khakis and wake up on a Sunday morning for it. But one of the things that surprised me was as I actually started to read scripture and participate in church, and I realized that becoming a Christian and following Jesus and being plugged into a church was about way more than being nice. It was about living this kingdom life that Jesus was not only proclaiming and teaching, but promising his power and presence to help make possible for you and for the people that you know and for this world that's desperately resisting what it is that he's trying to make happen. And this wasn't about just making sure that something good happened on the other side of your funeral. It was about making sure that the life on this side of your funeral is worth living and lives into what the God who created you meant for you to have and do and be. This was a completely different thing, message than I had ever heard or expected. And quite honestly, I realized it wasn't about what happens after you die. I realized about, it was about something worth getting up for every single day. And that changed my life. That was the next piece that fell into place. The following piece we talked about just last week. And it was, okay, well, all this stuff seems good and powerful and true while everything is working, right? While everything's going okay. And when I'm happy and hail and, and things are going well, this all seems to fit. But what about when everything's falling apart? What about when everything's falling apart? What about when I'm at the end of my rope emotionally or uh, relationally or spiritually or, like I shared with you, my health situation? I was shocked to find out, and this was the third piece that fell into place, that the promises and the presence and the power of Christ were with me there. It was actually real. It was actually true. It changed everything. So this is part of my journey, my pieces in faith, and I always want to invite you to reflect on what are yours? What are your pieces of faith? But what I want to talk about today is the piece that fell into place when I was in the practice of actually being a Christian now. I'm doing this thing, right? I'm going to church. I'm, I'm giving sacrificially. I'm in a Bible study. I'm even in a small group. I mean, I'm, I'm checking off all the boxes, right? I'm doing this thing. And over and over again, it seemed like my life with Christ was going up and to the right. You know, I was being shaped positively. I was feeling moral and good. There were answers there. was the direction there. There was purpose there. And it was all going great. And then despite my best efforts, if I was honest and true and real with myself— I was also messing up. I was also falling short. I was also not living up to what I knew was possible. That was also happening, despite my best efforts. And previously in my life, I didn't have a whole bunch of failure. And if I did fail, I could write it off to, well, it was just bad luck or I didn't try hard enough. But here I am trying hard enough and I am doing my best and I'm still not living into the image that I have as possible for me. And what do you think the result was for me, this young Christian who's experiencing all these positive things? It was shame, disgust with myself. To be honest, it was a desire just to give up, to hide, to turn away. I'm giving it all I've got. I'm trying as hard as I can. I'm doing the thing. Yes, good things are happening. And yes, also, I'm still struggling. Maybe more to quit. 
I may be the only one. I may be the only one. But maybe I'm not. There's a man in Scripture, and uh, we, we, we heard him in a Scripture reading today. Mark talked about it a little bit. It can be confusing if you're reading Scripture for the first time because in the New Testament, he goes by three different names. Simon, Simon Peter, and Peter. And they all refer to the same person. We know that he was about Jesus' same age. And he grew up in an area in the north of Israel uh, around a big lake. It's called the Sea of Galilee, but really it's just a big lake. And uh, he grew up in that area, and he was a fisherman by trade. He was working hard as a fisherman. He was a fisherman by trade. It was the kind of fishing we have to go out with nets. He's not just hanging out with some tall boys and a rod and reel. Like, it's a whole different experience of fishing. And he's working really hard. At the same time, he's a faithful Jewish man, and he's hearing these stories circulating in that kind of outposty area in which he lives. There's a story about this itinerant traveling teacher. They would call him a rabbi because he's a religious Jewish teacher. And this rabbi is named Jesus, and word's spreading about him, and some things are happening. And he actually has an encounter with this Jesus. And then the incredible thing happens, this Jesus just invites him to come with him. And in an incredible display of faith, Simon does. He becomes a part of this very early small collection of people who's invited to follow Jesus and who say yes. So he's part of his traveling band, and he's seeing incredible things. He's seeing miracles take place. He's seeing people healed. He's seeing demons cast out. He's seeing storms called. He's seeing all these incredible things happen. And he's hearing these teachings about what God is doing through him, about the kingdom that's coming, and it's absolutely incredible. And then one day, Jesus is talking to this special collection of followers, these people who are with him. And he says, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And Simon answers, and he says, some people think you're Elijah, a prophet that we've been expecting to return. That's what some people think you are. Some people think you're John the baptizer who was killed. Maybe they're thinking he wasn't actually killed, and he's actually you. Jesus says to Simon, well, who do you say that I am? And he says, you're the Christ the anointed one, the Messiah that we've been expecting. You're the son of the living God. That's who I say you are. And Jesus says to Simon, right you are. Right you are. And that answer isn't something you came up with your own. God's revealed that to you. And because of that, because of that faith, because of that understanding, because of that proclamation of who I am, I'm going to call you Petros, which in Greek means rock. We call it Peter in English. I'm going to call you the rock. And you and that faith that you've proclaimed and that understanding of who I am, that's going to be the foundation of my church, the mystical union between me and all of creation. That very faith and you are going to be an integral part of that. And so Simon Peter continues to travel with Jesus, and then Jesus is crucified and then resurrected, and Peter becomes the leader of the people that follow him on the other side of that crucifixion and resurrection. He does some incredible things. One time he preaches, and 3,000 people are converted and come forward in faith. And that one day, 3,000 people, my record is like one and a half. 3,000 people come forward that day. Think about that, 3,000 people. He heals people miraculously. He goes on mission and transforms community after community after community. He goes to Italy. He's the founder of the bishopry of Rome, the foundation of the papacy that continues today. 
About 30 years after Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection, he receives the crown of martyrdom, faithful to the end in every Christian tradition that reveres saints in any capacity, lifts up Peter as one of the greatest saints and examples of faith that has ever lived. If I was Peter, that's how I would want my story told. That's certainly what he would put on his edited Instagram page, right? Look at us just being faithful out at the lake again, me and my boys. But there's so much more to his story than that. Yes, every single thing that I said about Peter is true. Every single thing I said about Peter is true. All of those things are true. And also, Peter was a notorious screw-up who didn't get it over and over and over again. Jesus is walking out to Peter on the water and says, come out to me. And Peter does one or two steps and sinks like a stone. Doesn't actually believe that it's possible. Jesus said, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be crucified, killed, but brought back. And Peter says, no, you won't. Well, I'm Jesus. Yes, I do think that it will happen. He gets a chance to witness the transfiguration of Christ. He gets a chance to see this divine image of who Christ really is. And his response is just to build a memorial to it, completely missing the point on who Jesus actually is and what it's all about. On the day that Jesus was to give himself up for us, he's trying to teach his disciples, his followers, the kind of servant love and attitude they need to have for each other. And Peter refuses to let himself be washed, doesn't want to let it happen. This doesn't get it. This doesn't get it over and over and over again. He's right there. He's listening. He's hearing. He's seeing. And he's not getting it. And if you know your way around church, you know where I'm going with this. Peter messes up. Peter falls short. Peter lets himself down and Jesus down more than any of you and I will ever have the chance to do. Do you realize that? He messes up and falls short more than any of you or I will ever have the chance to do. Because when everything hits the fan, when the cards are on the table, and Jesus is suffering and scared and lost, and he's gathered around a charcoal fire with the representatives of the soldiers who are doing all of these things to Jesus, and someone asks, aren't you with him? Don't you know him? No. Hmm. Hmm. Don't you know him? Mm-mm. No. No, I saw you with him. You're one of his. Mm-mm. No. Jesus is abandoned, humiliated, suffered, crucified, and dies. Jesus is resurrected. And where does he find Peter? Where does he find Peter? Where does this story take place? It's back at the Sea of Galilee. It's back at the lake. And what's Peter doing? He's fishing. He's exactly where Jesus has found him. All of the following, all of the traveling, all of the miracles he saw, all of the teachings, everything. And when stuff got rough, he gave up and he went home. He quit. He stopped. Peter failed. Peter fell short. He disappointed himself. And in his humiliation and grief and loss, he tried to hide. He just went home. So the question I have to me, 
person is doing his best to follow in faith and is giving it everything that he has, but is still falling short, still not living up to what he knows is possible in himself. The question is, how does Jesus treat the mess-ups? How does Jesus treat the people who fall short? How does Jesus treat the people who give up and turn away because they think they can't do it and they're not given good enough? What does Jesus do? He goes right back and finds him. He goes right back to where he got him from the first time. He knows where he is. He knows where he's hiding. He knows that he's tried to turn away. So he goes right back to them and he invites them back to another charcoal fire, the very scene of where it is that he failed so badly and brings him back and gives him the miraculous feeding again. And then asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? Yes. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Peter, do you love me? Yes. He gives them the chance to say three times, I love you and I am yours. And just like Mr. Mark said, not because Jesus needed to hear it, but because Peter needed to say it. How does Jesus treat the people who screw up or who fall short or who mess up? He gives you the chance to make it right, to come back, to say yes, to be back in. And if you're not meeting him there, he'll come and find you because that's who he is. And I love what he says to Peter because he doesn't just say, Peter, do you love me? Yes. Well, then have perfect theology. He doesn't say, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Well, then never fall short again. He doesn't say, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Well, then do everything right from now on. No. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Well, then do something about it. Then do something about it. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Take care of my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Take care of my sheep. Doesn't go and ask him to be perfect. Doesn't ask him to never mess up again. Doesn't ask him to never fall short again. He just says, be the difference that I need you to be for everyone else's sake and for yours. That's what he says. How does Jesus true treat the people who mess up? He comes and finds them. He gives them a chance to do what they need to do for their own sake, which is to reaffirm their love and their faith and their hope. And then he says, here's something you can do about it. To know that I have received you back. I'll be honest with you. And this is tough to say. Uh, I mess up. And I'm going to mess up again in life. It's true. I'm going to mess up as your pastor. Do you realize that? Many of you are like, yeah. I'm going to mess up theologically. I'm going to mess up practically. I'm going to mess up in vision or lack of vision. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to mess up as a father. I'm going to mess up as a father. I'm going to mess up as a husband. I'm going to mess up as a brother, as a son, as a friend. I am. And I'm doing my best. I'm doing my best. And I still make mistakes. I'm going to mess up as a Christian man. So the question is, how does Jesus treat the people who mess up? How does Jesus treat you when you mess up? And if you're one of the people who has tried to give up and has tried to run back to where you came from, has tried to hide 
and say, maybe this just isn't for me. Not only is the question, how does Jesus treat you, but how far is Jesus willing to go to find you? And isn't that someone worth worshiping? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I give you thanks as always for your presence and your power. I give you thanks again today for your presence and power when we're doing everything we can to hide or run. Because knowing that we're not living into who we are or who we could be, sometimes our response is shame or fear or regret. Remind us, O oh Lord, that when we give up and go home, that's exactly where you find us, offering a chance for redemption and restoration. Lord, remind us that a way that we can always be in your service, even when we're struggling to find our own value and worth, is caring for those that you love, being your hands and feet in this world. Christ, we give you thanks for loving us anew today. And it's in your name that we trust and that we pray the words that you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.